Welcome to the Table Podcast. We hope what you hear today inspires joy in your heart and causes you to be convinced that God is good and He is for you. Enjoy the message. Last week we started looking at Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19, the story of the ten lepers. And and these were some extremely broken, outcast men. They're literally dying inside and out. Leprosy is literally a flesh-eating disease that if you touch somebody else, you can immediately infect them. So they were ostracized from the community and considered unclean. Have you ever been there? (laughs) And so inside and out, they're broken and they're hopeless. And the only people that they could actually live around were the people in their own condition. And when you're out in the world and when you're in brokenness, the only people you hang around are the people in your same condition. The ones that are broken inside, the ones that are, the life is just eating away at them. And and this is the moment where you realize, okay, there's got to be something better. I know that's what happened for me. I was around broken people, all these cycles, all of a sudden I wake up, all my friends are gone, the party's over, now we've got to live real life, and they're all gone. Because they were only around when we were all broken. But when everybody started looking for substance, we all went our separate ways. Well, unfortunately, the lepers didn't get this opportunity. They were permanently in this condition and permanently outcast. And so they cry out to Jesus for mercy. And Jesus spoke a word of healing to them, but they had to walk in the direction of their healing. They had to start going in the direction of what God had spoken and leave behind their brokenness. And let me say this, the Lord was telling me this in worship. There are so many people that want to live the life that Christ has called them to, but they keep walking back to the old people that they're familiar with. And you're wondering why you're not seeing complete deliverance is because you're still trying to get pieces from your brokenness to come with you to your healing. And it doesn't work like that. There has to be a severing of ties. There has to be a moment where you cut off the thing that is dying so that you can live. Even when you're pruning, you do not keep the dead limbs if you want the tree to live. You cut off the things that are dying so that you can thrive. This is why community is important. Excuse me, because if you stay with brokenness, you might be healed, but you'll think you're broken. So in order for you to really see where you're thriving, you have to be around people who are in the same condition that you're in. This is why Jesus said you've got to get out of the caves and go to the priest because the priest is going to put you in society where your condition has been renewed. Community is your renewed condition. Community is where you go when you realize I've been cleansed so my brokenness doesn't fit me anymore. You have to have community to remind you, don't you remember you were healed from that? You have to have a community that reminds you, remember, that's not who you are. That was when you were dying. This is life when you're alive. And so community helps remind you of that. And it reminds you that, hey, there's a direction that you're walking in. There's a way that God is taking you. And if you go backwards, you will never thrive. You have to be able to move forward. So Jesus commands them to walk in the direction of what he has named them. He called them clean. He called them righteous. He called them his own. And they began to walk in the way that he had spoken. And that's when life started to change. One man out of the ten came back to Jesus. Just one. And I believe that one man came back because he realized he got more than just a change in his condition. One man encountered Jesus' love, and he knew 
that even though his condition had changed on the outside, God had done something on the inside of him as well. And his response was praise and rejoicing and thanksgiving. There comes a time when you realize how broken you really were and you understand why you praise now. Before you were really aware of your brokenness, maybe you didn't realize what Jesus had really done for you. But in the moment when you realize where you were, that you were dead and dying, and he gave you new life, praise comes from that revelation. Praise comes from acknowledging, I couldn't have been this without Jesus. If it hadn't been for the Lord, I would still be in my mess. That is where thanksgiving and praise comes from. When we understand that we have not just been healed, we've been redeemed. We've been delivered. We've been set free. And that is exactly what happened to this one man. See, the lepers discovered that getting out of his condition wasn't the best part of his encounter. It was when he came face to face with Jesus. When he came face to face with the only man who would love him and accept him and change him at the same time. He knew he would never encounter anything else like that. And from that point on, he began to live his life whole, not just healed, but well inside. And that's what we see happening as his response to this encounter. So Thanksgiving doesn't just come when we get healed, when we get out of a bad situation, when we finally get what we ask for. (laughs) Thanksgiving comes when we have seen the face of Jesus, when we are truly convinced of who he is for us, and we see his goodness in our lives. That happens no matter what you're going through. Seeing a revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done is what allows us to really embrace thanksgiving. So this week, we're going to look at how being thankful actually shapes our lives. And it's really important because it doesn't just go from one month out of the year, we all sit around the table. No, this is a lifestyle that we practice that allows us to walk in victory above our circumstances, above our situations. And God has given us the authority to do that. So let's look at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. And we're just going to kind of dive into this. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And and I've got the amplified because I just like how it just adds extra words. Delight, take pleasure in him. Again, I will say rejoice. It says, let your gentle spirit, your graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance, patience be known to all people. The Lord is near. Now, Paul encourages us to always rejoice in the Lord. But let me preface this by saying Paul is writing these letters in a place where circumstantially he has no reason or no condition to be rejoicing. He's not cozy in his house by the warm fire. Right now, he's in prison as he's writing this. He is in isolation in a dark, dank prison with probably his only company being rats. I don't know if they fed him well, but I can imagine that a Roman prison is pretty disgusting. And so here he is in the middle of being imprisoned, and he's telling other people outside that are living their lives to rejoice. How can he say this? He's under intense isolation. They've probably beaten him. There's no telling how long he's been here, you know, and he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And he's encouraging people who are living their lives, eating good food, spending time in fellowship. He's encouraging them to rejoice. This tells me that you don't wait until your situations are good to rejoice. 
This tells me that this is not the only time you can encourage somebody. Let me tell you this. So many people are like, I I'm trying to wait until my stuff is done so I can encourage somebody else. Or let me wait till I get out of this season until I encourage someone else. Well, where does it say that in the word? Because to me, I'll believe you more if you're in your pit telling me to rejoice than I will if you're on the mountaintop because the world does that. The world can be on the mountaintop and tell you be happy. But what about when you're in the pit, when you're in a valley? When somebody tells me to rejoice while they're in the valley, then I know something besides them is giving them the power to say that. That's whenever I say you must serve a God because there's no way that you would be saying that in the condition that you're in, with your mother in that condition, with your family member in those conditions. You wouldn't be able to say that without God. And so the moments where we need to rejoice are the moments when we're actually in the valley, when we're in a hard place because we're giving people hope beyond their circumstance. You see, I, I don't want people to think that just because you sign up to serve Jesus, that means everything's going to be great all the time. Jesus says you will face trials, but I've overcome the world. He never told us, oh, yeah, you know, like once you get with me, nothing bad happens to you anymore. You good. That's not the promise that he makes. He does promise that he'll be with us, but things are still going to happen. We still endure things. We still go through hard times, and that's just life. But at the end of the day, I would rather see somebody in a terrible condition remind me to rejoice than for somebody who ain't ever walked through nothing to try to tell me. <laughs> I'd be like, that's cute. Whenever you actually go through something, then you can come back and tell me that. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we tell people to sign up when, only when it's good, we're deceiving them. If we tell people, oh, yeah, if you do this, oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, it is great because God's presence is with you. But life still hits you with some whammies. You better believe that. And, and one of the lies that we believe is that when bad things happen, I'm doing something wrong. Well, in 2016, I was serving God faithfully, and a flood came and took my car and my apartment in one day. And that wasn't God. <laughs> it definitely wasn't because I was being disobedient. It's because the flood came. It was a natural disaster. <laughs> but what's interesting about that is that I knew God to be my provider, so I wasn't worried about it. And I actually had more joy in that season than I had in a long time because I had almost forgot what it was like to depend on the Lord. I had almost forgotten how easy I could just do my own thing and live my own life and, and find, you know, support in my job and where I live, in my car. And we just think, oh, I'm good. And then all of a sudden that stuff gets wiped away in one day. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. I can't do this by myself. I, I forgot. <laughs> I didn't get here by myself. And so everything that the flood took from me, the Lord gave me more. Everything I lost, I gained much more on the other side of that because he's faithful. And so this is the type of life that we're guaranteed to live. That yes, things will still happen to us and it is not a direct correlation with disobedience, air quotes. It, it happens because life happens. It happens because life is hard, but God is still faithful. And I think that's what Paul is really trying to encourage us with because he's either facing death or an acquittal. But either way, he's going to take pleasure in the Lord. Either they're going to kill him or they're going to release him. But he's still saying always rejoice, find pleasure, find joy in the Lord. See, he probably never felt more near to God than in these moments of desperation because he had no other strength to lean on other than the Lord. There was literally nothing else he could do but believe what God has spoken. Verse 6 says, don't be anxious or worried about anything, 
But in everything, every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. Specific requests. Hmm, I'm about to go here. There's a lot of people that have been complaining because they haven't seen God do anything in their lives, but you haven't asked him for anything. If you say a generic, bless my, bless my, bless my, bless my, well, that can look like anything. It can. And you can be getting blessed the whole time and still complaining because you don't even know what that looks like. Bless my mama, bless my this, bless my that. Okay, it's still there. (laughs) But what if you specifically ask God for some things? What if you specifically ask God for something that you know is in his heart to do? What if you specifically said, Lord, I want to see you move in this way. Lord, I want to see you because your word says that you would do this. I want to see you move. I remember my parents, I asked um, the Lord, I said, Lord, my parents need a church community. The churches that we've been to when I was growing up, God bless them. I'm surprised we made it through. (laughs) There was just not a loving community. And now my parents are like, you know, in their 50s and 60s. And it's been a long time since they had community. So one day I just write in my prayer journal. And I'm like, Lord, I I specifically would love you to bless my parents with the community that they can be a part of. A few months go by. Mom calls me. She says, man, we just found this awesome church. So full of love. They're like, you know, older people, but they are so awesome. And we've just come in and we just feel like family. I say, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Because sometimes you get so specific in your prayers that you don't even remember what you asked God for. But I got specific enough for something that he wanted to see happen already. And he was just like, why don't you just ask me for something? You haven't seen me move because you haven't asked for anything. So he does it again. And I'm like, you know, I'm laughing on the phone. I'm just like so excited. She has no idea I've prayed this for them. No idea. Another story, my brother still doesn't faithfully serve the Lord right now. It's been going on almost 10 years. I said, Lord, place somebody in his life that will share the gospel because I know he ain't going to hear from me because family is the hardest people to really get to come to Christ because they know who you used to be. (laughs) So he didn't want to hear from my version. He wanted to hear from somebody else. And so I was like, okay, Lord, we're going on year probably nine. About a month ago, my brother said, hey, it's Wednesday night. What you doing? Whatever. I was like, you know, studying all that stuff. He's like, man, one of my coworkers asked me to go to church. I was like, oh, cool. You know, I'm trying to play it cool on the text message. I'm crying in my house because I'm like, oh, yeah, they did. He was like, I'm going to (laughs) go. Make your request known to God (laughs) and do yourself a favor and write it down so you can see God is a lot more faithful than you remember he is because you just you just didn't ask. And I'm sitting here thinking, wow, what else could I just ask you for? Before I got this job, I was like, man, you know, Lord, I have this salary, you know, and I was like, eh, it's okay, but this is a number that I want to make. And I was like, this may be kind of big, this may be overshooting, and I was like, but you know what, this is what I need to do, all these things. The, the man calls me out of my cubicle at Chase and here, and the exact number that I told the Lord I wanted to make to be comfortable, he says, I hope this is enough, Siobhan. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm like, wow, specific prayers? really matter. Specific prayers will really show you not how much, you know, you can just ask for, but how much God cares about the details of your life. 
Specific prayers help you understand that he's listening to you. And he's been waiting for you to test and see if you won't believe that he's faithful. He's waiting for you to actually come to him and say, hey, I bet you if you ask me, I'll show you how faithful I am in that. But you know what? As soon as I asked, I didn't put a timeline on him. As soon as I asked, I didn't ask him how he was going to do it. I just trusted in the person who I was asking, and he took care of the rest. And that's how it works. When you make a specific request to God instead of worrying, you have a lot better chance of seeing that thing come to pass. The reason why he's telling you not to be worried about anything is because when you ask God in faith and you really believe for that thing, he's meeting you at that place. He's telling you not to worry because he's already taken care of it. He just wants you to practice partnering with him. That's what it's really about. He already wants my brother to come to him. He already wants my family to have a community. He just wanted to see if I'd be willing to partner with him for the things that he desires for me and watch him work. He already wanted me to be comfortable enough to give to people and give to missions and do all those things. He just wanted to see if I'd be faithful enough to sow into it until I saw it happen. So this is what we see, that when we're anxious is because we're assuming that we have to do it. When we're anxious is because we believe in our minds, what I'm asking for, I got to help God with. We're anxious because we think that, oh, well, this means I'm supposed to do my part. You don't have one. Your part is to partner and praise. Your part is to partner and declare and believe in the person that you're talking to. He's a big God. I stopped putting him in such a small frame when I realized he made the sun. He made the world that we live in. And you mean to tell me he can't bring somebody to share the gospel with my brother? What? I think he's big enough for that. I think he's able. If he could take the sins of the world, there ain't nothing I can, can't ask. That was a big thing. Our transformation was huge. If you have the faith to believe that Christ has redeemed you, you have the faith to believe for anything. Because <laughs> that's the biggest deal. That you're in Christ. Mm. I'm just saying. <laughs> so we can be specific about, our, about the details of our life. Because here's the thing. He knows everything, but he still wants you to tell him. Because he invites you to practice believing. He invites you to practice rejoicing and thanksgiving and believing for things so that you can tell somebody else and you can encourage them and then they'll start believing God. Me and Kendrick have this running joke about us asking for hot fries at the drive-thru. <laughs> we, we got together one time and we were talking and you're like, you know what, I've just been practicing faith and one day I just really wanted some hot fries. And you don't always get that in the drive-thru. Maybe Chick-fil-A, you know, they down for us, but not everywhere else, you know? So I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to ask for some hot fries. I go in the restaurant and do whatever, and I get my order, and they're like, well, it's going to be about three minutes because we have to give you, I said, hot fries? <laughs> and they were like, well, yes, ma'am. I was like, oh, I knew it. <laughs> so I told Kendrick about that, just being funny, you know, we're just clowning. He goes and does the same thing. He gets hot fries. Like, hot fries. He called me because he was like, Javon, I, I prayed and asked God for hot fries. Well, I got hot fries. I was like, I knew it. 
And it's just like the smallest things that we're practicing faith, just like little kids. We're practicing what it looks like to ask our dad for things and just see won't he do it. We didn't care whether or not we got them, but God wanted to meet us at our place of believing. So he met us there. It was a real thing. And I still get hot fries. <laughs> and free coffee. The favor of the Lord just follows me. I'm so serious. It is so funny how you just live in abundance and the smallest things. And I think the reason why it's happening, it's probably always been happening. I just didn't give God credit for it. If I'm being honest, his favor was probably in all of those things. But now I'm starting to recognize where that comes from. And then it produces more thanksgiving and more faith. So I just keep testing out more things to ask God for. And it's been fun. It's getting real specific. <laughs> Crazy fun stuff. And that's just what our life is about. If you're focused on going on a journey like that, where does anxiety have any room? There's no room for that. There's no room for worry and all those things when you get to enjoy the goodness of God and just see how good he is. He gives us an invitation to do that. Um, Graham Cook says, in your place of rejoicing, faith is attracted to you. Yeah. Yeah. In your place of rejoicing, faith is attracted to you. When you rejoice, faith comes next to you and says, yeah, let's do that. Let's believe for that. Let, let's declare that. And all of a sudden, your rejoicing is just bringing faith right next to you. The faith of Christ is operating in those moments of rejoicing. Oh, so good. Requests that are made to God with an attitude of thanksgiving mean we remember what God has done and what he'll continue to do. And then he's going to do the same thing. Mm, somebody's going to get that. And, and what happens when we begin that lifestyle? Verse 7 says, the peace of God that passes all understanding or reassures the heart. I love that. Reassures the heart which transcends all understanding. That peace stands guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You want to guard your peace? Start thanking God. You want to protect your peace? Start rejoicing. Because when you do that, peace comes to guard you from every other lie that tries to come and wedge its way between you. Peace stands in the way and says, uh-uh, you can't come this far. You have a line that's been drawn because rejoicing is happening here. And where rejoicing is happening, peace is surrounding you. You want to have a peace that passes all knowledge? You start thanking God for what you know to be true about him, what you've seen him do. Rejoicing gets you surrounded by God and your perception opens up. That grand boy, he goes in. Your perception starts opening up when you start rejoicing because literally peace starts to surround you and it just flows from your life. Thanksgiving leads to peace and peace guards your mind and then you begin to rejoice and focus on what's eternal, substantial, and secure. That's Christ. See, our circumstances will never outlast God's faithfulness. Somebody write that down. Oh <laughs> Our circumstances will never outlast God's faithfulness. That, was, that wasn't Graham, that was me. Um, <laughs> Holy Spirit. Um, thanksgiving and rejoicing remind us what we have and who has us. And see, anxiety is no match for thanksgiving, rejoicing, and prayer. Because rejoicing in the Lord is about celebrating our communion with Christ 
and it brings our awareness back to his presence. In the moments where I let my circumstance be my God, I begin to submit under that. But when I just let God be God, my circumstances have to get back where they belong, below me. We were designed to be a rise above those things. We were designed to be heavenly minded. We were designed to enjoy the fruitfulness of God's love and his provision and his mercy. And those things are just stepping stones to build upon a history of faith. Being thankful comes from a deep contentment in the Lord that's rooted in the trust that he is sovereign, that he's always available in difficult times, that if he was there with you two years ago, he's going to be there with you now. If he was there with you 10 years ago, he's going to be with you now. He's not changing. Your circumstances are changing, but your God's not changing. As faithful as he's always been is as faithful as he will be. And that's the declarations that you make in your circumstances. Hmm. Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that means we can't run out of peace. We can't run out of joy because it's abundant in the kingdom. Peace and joy will last longer than your hurt, your pain and your disappointment. Write that down. Peace will last longer than your hurt, your pain and your disappointment. Because that is the kingdom. All those other things are temporary. So you're connected to something that outlasts your condition and your situation. You're connected to a person that is more faithful and enduring than your circumstance. Mm. Joy rests in the assurance of God's goodness and grace. And thanksgiving silences the voice of the accuser and drives out negativity. The enemy can't stay in a place where God is being glorified. He literally cannot stand it. So you want to drive the devil out? Stop addressing him and you praise the father. Stop telling him, leave me alone, leave me alone. You're giving him too much. You're giving him too much attention. You need to be able to rejoice and lift your voice to God and remember what he has done for you. A lot of times our rejoicing is a reminding of what God has done for us. Because we can get in our own, our own, you know, places where we're just like, I don't even know when God did this and that. Oh, remind yourself. Rejoicing, remind yourself. Remind yourself of where you used to be. Remind yourself of what you used to do before you came in the house of God. I do it all the time. Y'all want to know why I'm dancing? Because I know where I used to be dancing and I was broken. So I'm glad I get to dance young and free and wild up in here for God. Then to be out of my mind somewhere. That's why I dance for the Lord, because I know why I'm supposed to dance now. So you have to remind yourself where you came from. You have to remind yourself, I used to come to this altar crying in shame and condemnation, and now I can dance for the Lord. Something happened. I'm not the same that I used to be. And so sometimes it's not because something is going well that week or I didn't pass a test. It's not because of that. It's because I still remember the same God who loved me in my mess, that is here right now in his presence, still dancing with me, still loving on me. That's the reason to rejoice. Well, you better remember who you used to be. <laughs> Glory. Anyway, <clears throat> so down on to verse 9, it says, basically Paul is saying, the things that you learn, the things that you've been taught, make this a practice. 
practice these things in daily life, and the God who is the source of peace and well-being will be with you. In other words, don't wait for the trial to come before you practice thanksgiving. Do it daily so that peace will follow you into the storm. If you're already practicing thanksgiving before anything is wrong, well, then you already know what to do when something is coming. If you already practice being thankful every day for the small things, for the free coffees, for the the hot fries, then when something else comes, you already know. This is already your lifestyle. You're not trying to scramble and be like, oh, oh, let me remember how I'm supposed to be thankful again. No. When it's your lifestyle, you can be thankful even when the storm is coming and all the way in the middle of it because this is your life. And you know that God has given you something on the other side of this. There's always an upgrade ready for you when a storm is coming. I want to walk through an example of something, and I'm going to try to do this quickly. And sometimes I feel like I don't really care for models and things like that, but I do like to look at examples in Scripture that give us a lot more insight of how this thing works. Because I know you can sit here and listen to a, you know, somebody speak and say, well, I don't really know how to do that. And I'm like, okay, I got you. Let's go to Psalms 3. David was being chased down by his own son to be killed for his throne. The people that he thought were his friends sided with his son to overthrow him. He is literally running for his life. And you want to have some enemies? Wait till your enemy is your family. Those are some of the most difficult enemies that you will ever have to deal with when they are your own blood. So imagine, before we read these passages, what is happening to David? The son that he gave birth to, the son that he provided for, the son that he loved, is literally trying to take his life for a throne. Everything that he's ever done for this young man doesn't even matter because right now all he wants is power and prestige. And he's going to run over his own dad to get that. We're setting up this situation well enough for you to understand the words that come from this. This has got to be really deep. Verse 1. Lord, I have so many enemies, so many who are against me. Listen to how they whisper their slander against me, saying, look, he's hopeless. Even God can't save him from this. Pause in his presence. David is getting real, real with God right now. He's telling him the whole situation. And I love that this is a prayer because we think all the time that when we have a request before God that we can't tell him the ugly and the hard stuff that's happening in our lives. But you can learn something from David. Right now he's running for his life from somebody that he loves. And he's telling God exactly what's going on. Have you ever had people that told you to give up on your God? Have you ever had people that told you, you know, you you really shouldn't be believing for that. You should just let that go. That's not happening. This is exactly where David is. David is in a place where people are telling him, God's not going to come through for you this time. I know he may have done it before, but it's not happening. And in, in his request to God in this prayer, he pauses in God's presence. The word there translated is Selah. And they don't have a a real translation for this. Everybody has just said it's just unknown what it really means. It could mean a pause. It could mean like an instrumental break, like if you're playing a song, like a musician. But I like how the Passion Translation just says, pause in his presence. Sometimes when you're saying your request to God, you just need to sit there after you tell him. 
Sometimes when things are happening, you just need to pause for a second before you move on. Because God may be wanting to speak something to you in that moment. Selah, just sit there. He's heard your request, but pause for a second. Then he goes on. He says, but in the depths of my heart, I truly know that you, Yahweh, have become my shield. You take me and surround me with yourself. Your glory covers me continually. You lift my head when I bow low in shame. I have cried out to you, Yahweh, from your holy presence. You send me a father's help. So at this point, is he still talking about the situation? At this point, he's going back saying, what I know in my heart to be true about you, God, is that you are my savior. You always get me out of situations because you know what? This is not the first time he ever ran for his life. About 30 years ago, he did this same run for his life from Saul when he was anointed king and he was going from cave to cave to cave. And the same God that put him on this throne is the same God that he can call out to now when his son is trying to take it. There's something about us remembering what God has done and truly knowing in our hearts that, yes, this is my situation, but I still know what you did for me. David says, I know in my heart you are my shield. How does he know that? Because up until this point, that's who God has been. Every time. And then he pauses again. Then he says this. So now I'll lie down and sleep like a baby. Then I'll wake up in safety. For you surround me with your glory. Even though dark powers prowl around me, I won't be afraid. What's happening now? Now he's saying, yeah, come get me. I'm about to sleep like a baby because there's no way that you're stronger than my God. I'm about to lay down in safety because the same God has been my shield all these years. This is the same God that's going to be my shield right now. Some of us can learn from David. Yes, tell the situation to God. But remind yourself of what he has done for you and who he has been. And then you go to sleep. You go to sleep in the safety of God, the rest of God, the goodness of God, the peace of God, because he's not changing who he is. Your circumstance is not changing God. So go to sleep because he's going to take care of it. David is teaching us something. Our life circumstances are not us worth us staying awake for, especially when we know who God is and what he's done. Go to sleep because you're safe. Because when he said he'd be a shield about you, he meant it. Hmm. And how does he end this? I love it. I love it. He said, and this was titled The Secret of Strength. I simply cry out to you. Rise up and help me, Lord. Come and save me. And you will slap them in the face. So now he's pulling out the big gun saying, I already know what you do to my enemies. I already know when I ask my dad to come help me, he's coming. And he's going to take care of my enemies for me. It says breaking the power of the words, their words to harm me. That means you don't play over and over the stuff that people have said about you. That's a lie. You just tell the enemy he's done. He says my true hero comes to my rescue for the Lord alone is my savior. What a feast of favor and bliss he gives his people. The story ends where Absalom actually gets killed and David keeps his throne. How about that? <laughs> Surprised? I'm not. 
because this is the God that we serve, a God who is faithful. The only thing that David was doing was declaring what he already knew to be true about God from his history. He had been here before. This wasn't his first rodeo. Enemies, he's had them. He knew that God would still deliver him because God is always faithful. David is responding to God from an inner knowing of God's goodness and grace. History with God has developed this attitude. Past experience build confidence and faith in David's present circumstance. See, David is walking by faith in the one who has already done it for him. Faith in the Lord is why he could rejoice in trials. Amen. <laughs> I love when the babies. Yes. Every time God shows you something about himself, it leads you into a deeper place of worship, rejoicing, and thanksgiving. See, we build upon what we know about God and remind ourselves of who he is and what he has done. And when we practice a lifestyle of thanksgiving, we experience victory. David was telling his circumstance about his God. David was reminding himself that God wouldn't have brought him this far to leave him. That he wouldn't have escaped the hand of Saul and, and thousands of men who tried to take his life only to let his son take him out. No. He was going to maintain his promise to David until his last breath. And the rightful heir took over once David had died. See, David figured out something that we should all know, <laughs> that God keeps us our entire lives, and every promise that he makes, he keeps. We are in relationship with a promise keeper. We are in relationship with a God who, once the word is spoken, nothing can change it. No man, no beast on earth can change what God has spoken. That assurance is what we rejoice and thank him for. Because he is good and he is unchanging. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Here at the table, we are discovering Jesus together. If you were encouraged by today's message, do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. That way you never miss out on future episodes. Also, help us get the word out by sharing this podcast on your preferred social media platform. To keep up on what's happening in our community, you can follow us on Facebook at The Table or on Instagram at The Table CCLA.